Jesus is so easy to get distracted. Distracted this time of year by all sorts of things going on or the lack thereof or the people that we've lost or are losing. There's so much opportunity to get distracted in our spiritual walk. Distracted by all the religious trappings and things that we're called into, but here's a moment right now where we get to be reminded by you, Holy Spirit, that this is all about Jesus. These songs that call us to remember, that we're called into love and called into the work of liberation and freedom, that following Jesus should mean something but the way we live and how we engage in the world around us. So would you just call us into more, would you call us into following you in deeper and better and more beautiful ways, Jesus? Would you call us into submission? Love the scriptures, I love the gospels that we get, we get to learn from blind beggars. Who schools religious leaders and shows the world what it means, to, what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's a faith tradition that I can, I can, I say yes to. Where the marginalized ones show us how to follow Jesus and shows us what Jesus really looks like. So open our eyes, open our ears. Thank you for the Gospel of John and for these stories that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation and in miraculous and messy ways that we get to sit here and be transformed by, hopefully. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a quick question for you. Like, would you, you guys have sat through tons of sermons, right? Many church services. If you haven't, man, I'm so glad you're here. That's super fun. But most of us have. Are we sitting here to be transformed? I'm asking you personally. Are you sitting here to be transformed? To, to walk out of here looking a little bit more like Jesus? Thinking a little bit more like Jesus? Because as we've said the last few weeks, if you're not, it's just useless. So, We've been in the Gospel of John, as Shelley has said, we've called this series The Word because of the way that John begins his gospel. It's this powerful, beautiful, unique, poetic way of framing up and telling us about who this Jesus is that we're going to be learning about throughout this next whole gospel narrative. Jesus is the Word of God. We get confused about what's the Word of God. John says Jesus is the divine Logos, the divine Word of God, the creator of all things. If you want to know who Jesus was, you've got to go back all the way to Genesis 1 because as John says that Jesus was with God in the beginning and He was God. All things that were made were made through this Jesus. Jesus, this divine Logos, this Word of God, came into the world, and he was the light of the world. His, his light brought light to all mankind. You remember months ago studying that prologue, and now everything that we see in the Gospel of John needs to be compared to that prologue because John is he got kind of introduced to Jesus, and we remember that. So we've been going through the Gospel of John for 
months now, and it's been inspiring, it's been fun, it's been ironic, it's been just unexpected. In the last few weeks, it's been one thing in particular, I would say. What is, what, 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 if you could describe the, the Gospel of John in one word in the last week or two, what would you call There it is. Didn't take long. Confusing. I'm, I felt, I've been challenged by this Gospel of John. I've been challenged by the Jesus that we find in the Gospel of John. And this week, we're going to find more of that. We're going to find more challenge. This week, we get to this epic story in John 9. John 9 is kind of this, this it's almost like a, a, a play, like a theatrical play. It's dramatic. And there's characters that are going to be introduced to us that we get just for this one chapter. There's scene changes. And it builds to this climactic moment at the end of John 9 where Jesus is again arguing with the religious leaders. And if just in case you haven't been here very long, we are the religious leaders in the Gospel of John. We are not Jesus. We are the religious leaders who are set against Jesus. And Jesus, it's, it's so ironic that we, this people... This religious people who for century upon century have been waiting for the Savior to come. Who have been waiting and begging and asking God to send a Messiah to save the anointed one who would save this people for centuries. And when God actually does it, they hate his guts and spend all their time arguing with him. That's ironic. It's interesting. But see, it's because... God isn't who we expect God to be. We think we've got God all figured out, and we're going to find today. Here's the, here's the title of my sermon, just to give you a little spoiler alert. We're going to find today, we're all blind. We're all blind. Just some of us know it, and the other, many of us don't if we're really religious. So let's dive into this story today. This is John 9, starting right at verse 1. As he went along, this is after Jesus had had a confrontation on the Feast of Tabernacles in the the temple. He's in Jerusalem. Again, this is, John is just so Jerusalem-centric in in the stories that John tells. It's different than all all the other three, the Synoptic Gospels. We're still out in Jerusalem. Jesus just left the temple. And it says, as he went along, he saw a a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now that's something. Just a chapter ago, Jesus was asked this this really kind of tough question that's designed to trap him, and he starts writing in the dirt. Just that same, he goes out, and he starts, he spits in the ground, makes mud, puts it on this blind guy's eyes, and says, go and wash it in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some, some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. 
But he himself insisted, yeah, I'm the guy. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. And he's like, I don't know. See, because I couldn't see. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus made, had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Oh, you know there's going to be trouble now. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. The guy put mud on my eyes, the, the man replied, and I was washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. How can you be from God if you break God's commands? That's what they're saying. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was was your eyes he opened. The man replied, "Uh, he's a prophet, maybe? They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent. So they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one, is this one, the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? Well, we know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who has opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. He's over 13. He's, he's an adult. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said he is, one, he is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, and this is is inspired one of the greatest hymns of all time, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you want to become his disciples too? This guy is gangster. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. These little digs at Jesus. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. We got some things to talk about, friends. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, here's the punchline, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. I told you it was a dramatic story. I just want to go through, what we're going to do this morning is going to go through, there's a number of 
points as I was reading that text where I, was, I almost couldn't help myself. I wanted, to, I, want, I wanted to jump in and talk about what's going on here, but we're going to do that now. We're just going to go through these significant little mile markers that, that there's something beneath the surface here that will just bring us into the story until we hit that climactic moment. The first thing that's interesting that many of you probably noticed is this thing that the disciples said, right? Jesus, who sinned? They, they, they come across this man born blind, begging, because that's what he did. And they immediately see this guy and they immediately think, sheesh, someone sinned in order to get you like this, buddy. And this was not like the disciples being a bunch of morons, which they were a lot of times. This was not that. This, is, this was a very, very common belief in the ancient world, in particular in the ancient religious world, particularly in the ancient Jewish re reality and worldview. It's that if someone was born, whether it's born blind or born with any kind of disability, that had to mean that God was angry at you or your parents. That meant that you, you did something really bad. They literally thought it could be either the parents who did something bad and the kid is, is, gets, gets the punishment for it, or that this kid prenatally sinned in some major fashion, and that's why they were born blind. This is just a common way of thinking for religious people. The Pharisees are doubling down on it, and we'll get to that later. And see, we laugh. I see a lot of smiles, and that's good because it's ridiculous. But the thing is, is that religious people still do this today, friends. I mean, all I had to do was just think for a few moments the other day when I'm writing the sermon about, I remember, and I spoke about this before, when a tornado hit a church that the ELCA church was, was meeting at, and, and, and a prominent religious leader, Christian leader, said it was because of the gays. How many people, religious leaders, said HIV is because of the gays, it's judgment on the gays, right? How many times you got to hear that you, God, you're an abomination and that God hates you and has sense judgment because of you? How, how much does that affect your mental health as a community? And it's not just the gays, they get a lot of it, but it, how many of us heard that some preachers saying that 9-11 was God's judgment on sinful America, Right? Hurricane Katrina, have you been to New Orleans? It's dark and dirty and evil and vile, and that's why Hurricane, God sent Hurricane Katrina to kill a bunch of people, devastate families. See, God doesn't send disaster. God heals it. God doesn't make people blind. God wants to heal it. God doesn't send chaos. That's not who God does. From the very beginning, God brings order from chaos. Don't be fooled by religious people trying to pass their judgment onto you. God brings life. God heals. And it's what Jesus said, that neither this man, he, he puts a quick end to the silliness. It, neither one. See, none of the above. His parents didn't sin. He didn't sin. This is just a beautiful opportunity for God to get glory because God brings healing. God brings life. Next thing that we need to pay attention to, and this is just, again, I'm going to point this out every time we come across this in the Gospel of John, and this is not going to be the last time, I promise you. But Jesus said, 
Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, he says, as long as it is day, we must believe in the works of him who sent me. That's not what he said. See, but we kind of act and think as Christians that it's all about believing in God, right? But Jesus here again doesn't say it's, we, we, while it is day, we must believe in the works who sent me. He says, while it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. See, Jesus isn't just interested in believers. Jesus is interested in doers of the kingdom. And we'll just point it out every single time we come across it because it's undeniable. It's all over the Gospel of John. The kind of faith that Jesus is interested in the Gospels is the kind of faith that leads to actions. The kind of faith that transforms our lives, everything about us. That's the kind of faith that Jesus is interested in. The kind that turns us, <clears throat> turns us into kingdom people. Excuse me. All right, then we get in verse 6. This is just a little fun thing to, to point out. Jesus spits in the, in the dirt, makes it into mud, puts it on this guy's eyes to heal him. There's a parallel here that many biblical scholars think that John is trying to create here. Going back into the, to, back in scriptures, does anybody have any guess as to what the, what the little metaphor, the parallel pointing to of Jesus healing this guy by making mud from the ground and healing this guy's blind eyes? Matt? You were nodding your head, yes, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. There it is. The second creation story in Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God in the very beginning forming man in this creation narrative, forming humanity out of, out of mud, out of the out of the dirt and God coming to earth and through mud healing this guy's eyes. It's a fun little parallel there. But we're not going to camp out there. Another parallel story. So we find out that Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath. And this is a parallel story to what we've already been through. Does anybody know? remember that one? The lame guy, thank you, Eric. I love, I love when we just talk like real people. The lame guy, John 5. Jesus heals this guy who's been, been uh, lame for 38 years. He's at the pool of Bethesda. Then he goes, and all of a sudden we find out that he healed this guy on the Sabbath, and all the craziness breaks out with the religious leaders because they, they, they're just trying to trap Jesus. Same exact pattern happening here. Jesus heals the person. We find out later that it's on the Sabbath. The religious leaders get all mad. And here's the reason that the religious leaders were mad. Here's a lesson for us in here. It wasn't just, see, that, that God's law said you can't do, you can't make mud on the Sabbath. Or you can't tell a person to go wash that mud off in the pool of Siloam on the Sabbath. What they were mad about was their interpretation of the law. They're mad about their interpretation of the law. And see, the ironic thing is, is that their interpretation of the law, of the scriptures, contradicts what God himself is doing. And this happens all the time. It happened back then. It happens today. See, 
we come to the scriptures and we've studied them and people like me try to appear really smart, tell you I think this is what's going on here, and then we amass this knowledge over time in all of it, friends, whether we like to admit it or not, is my interpretation. It's your interpretation of the scriptures, right? And the jump we make is that this is the correct interpretation of the scriptures. It's really easy to do. It comes really natural for human beings, but it's dangerous. See, we come at the scriptures thinking we're going to find keys that unlocks the truth of God and praise the Lord. And that, that, maybe that's true in some way, but we have to rem re remind ourselves that we are here in this very particular cultural context in this time-space moment, just like these Pharisees were 2,000 years ago. They thought they had God all figured out because they had spent their entire lives studying the Scriptures. So they knew what breaking the Sabbath looked like. So much so that when God appears before them, their interpretation butts up against who God really is and what God really is doing. See, one of the themes that we're going to find this morning is what philosophers like to call epistemic humility. Epistemic humility. Epistemology just means, it's a fancy way of saying how we know what we know. How we know what we know. And when we come to the Bible and we think that we're, okay, I'm going to read it and I'm going to know it and I'm going to understand it perfectly, that's a lot of pride within ourselves, thinking that we're going to actually be able to understand this perfectly and fully and know God fully. If these religious leaders just had a little bit of epistemic humility and said, Jesus, we all know what the law says. Why did you do it? And then Jesus, God himself, might be able to actually introduce the true meaning of the scriptures and what, what God meant by it and what, what the Sabbath is actually for. Instead, they, take their, they, they, they double down on their pride and say, our interpretation is the right interpretation, even when God's standing in front of them disagreeing with it. We'll have more on that later, the epistemic humility that's called to us religious people. But let's move on. Little fun note that John puts in here. John is hard on the religious leaders of this day. Many people actually say that John is anti-Jewish, which there's all sorts of background as to why. These are, John is a formerly, we think John is a formerly Jewish person. A lot of the people in John's church that he wrote this gospel for are formerly Jewish people who have been kicked out of their families because of their, follow, their, their belief in Jesus, who've been kicked out of the synagogues because of their belief in Jesus. There's a, there's a lot going on here. And John really is hard on the, on the religious leaders and the Pharisees in this stuff. The, the, the Pharisees are the bad guys in this, in this story. But you see this little, little nugget here. Some of, this, some of the Pharisees in verse 16 this said, this, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath, our interpretation of God's word. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Now here's a good lesson for people like me. I don't think I'm alone in this, but I'm just going gonna, gonna to use my pronouns. I love to judge whole groups of people. I know I'm really unique. <laughs> but I love to, to receive some anger or some pushback, or I love to, to see what I think is hypocrisy. 
I'm giving you a little hint as the kind of the, the groups of people that I like to judge. I see hypocrisy, I see people being oppressed, and I just love to lump the whole group of people. For me, it's fundamentalists, conservative Christians, maybe. And I just take the whole group of people, poof, <laughs> kick them out of town. They're all like, forget them all. You know what I mean? Am I truly on my own here? And this is John telling us, just so you know, I know I've been talking about the Pharisees a lot, but there were some that actually thought, wanted to follow Jesus. The Pharisees were divided. And this tells us, this, this is a warning, don't use a people group to scapegoat. Don't give up on a whole brand of people just because there's some loud mouths in it. Are you with me? Whether it's your family, whether it's the opposite political party, whether it's a person, another Christian who believes something that's really important, that's different than you. Now I've hit every single person in this room. Don't you dare write off that whole group of people or that whole part of your family. I was confronted by this in COVID when we were so tempted over and over again to separate ourselves and to be polarized and divided. And the Holy Spirit would bring my family to mind. And I would be angry, and then I would be crying in repentance. Don't do it. See, because God doesn't see people by their people group, by their political ideology, by, what, by, by their interpretation of scriptures. God just sees this person who carries the Imago Dei. He doesn't see the labels that we care so much about. Okay. Told you the story is interesting. Now we get to where the, the, they bring this guy in front of the Pharisees. This is basically a trial. They bring the guy in front of them. He doesn't help the Pharisees. They're trying to condemn Jesus. So they go to the parents. Now this is something interesting. We see the... the the inner workings of this religious system here with this story as the parents get involved. This formerly blind guy born from birth doesn't give us what we want, so let's bring his parents in. The parents come in, and they're immediately completely terrified of the religious leaders. Now, scholars think that because this man, this, this guy who was born blind, and well, again, we don't know how old he was. They just say he was of age, which means he's over 13 years old. He could be 15 he could be 27. We don't know. He's likely in that like youth age, but he's a man in that time. They bring him up, and they're immediately terrified of these guys because what have they already said? Your sin has made your son born blind from birth. And they pit their son, that, the son against the parents. And they get the, try to get the parents to, to basically turn their son in. And they're petrified because they know that G, they're, they're kicking people out who are following Jesus, which just means they're kicking people out of the synagogue, out of the temple. And that means they're, 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 if you're kicked out of the temple, if you're kicked out of the synagogue, you've lost your whole livelihood. You have no connection now to the, to the people in power. 
If you're kicked out of the synagogue, that means you've lost your place among the covenant people. You're, you're kicked out of the economy. It has huge ramifications. And so these parents are terrified. They throw their son under the bus. And it'd be easy for us to condemn them and to judge them and to think how terrible. But see, this is what religious systems do. Religious systems in Jesus' day and religious systems in our day, friends, all the way through, if you look at the history of church history. Religious systems use shame and fear and guilt to control people. Religious systems use shame and fear and guilt to maintain power and to control people, even if it means splitting apart families. This is what the Pharisees were doing. This is what the religious leaders were doing. Some of them, again, not all of them were in agreement with this, but some of them were doing it. And this still happens today, doesn't it? I'm not going to look at you right now, but I'm look, they're right in this room today are members of our church family who are separated from their families because... They've been told by church leaders, if you're of a certain community, you need to be, you need to, if your children say they're part of the LGBTQ community, you need to shun them. Treat them as if they're not family. And this is a church leader who is one of the most influential in our nation and who's spread his influence. South America is like his, his whole continent of discipleship. He's made tons and tons and tons and tons of money by using fear and shame and manipulation in order to keep power, get rich, and be in control. And he does it by dividing families. Or we hear, if you, if you and your family don't believe the same things, you, you really should think about not going to Christmas. Now, there's a few of us who that actually is true for, that it's too toxic, it's too dangerous, it's too, but for most of us, we're pitted against one another. I felt this pressure myself. Received some of this myself. See, religious systems want to tell you that unless you agree perfectly with one another, you can't be with one another. And anytime you see that happening, friends, run the opposite direction. Because it's not of Jesus. Jesus doesn't divide families. Jesus doesn't want to separate us. Jesus brings this unity that, is, that the world thinks is absolutely impossible. Jesus brings this love that we've been talking about, which is completely unconditional and self-sacrificial. It doesn't think of itself. It thinks only of the other that we can love. When you seek that kind of thing, know that you're around the real stuff. Let's keep moving. Now we get to the, to the punchline here. It's 11.03, perfect. So this guy, this blind guy, absolutely schools the religious leaders. Now I want to tell you the irony in that. See, because this guy was born blind. They didn't have these un unbelievable braille scriptures in this day. He likely did not know much scripture at all. And then he was formed in... Forced into a life of begging. 
which some people in the Jewish, ancient Jewish tradition thought you, we need to honor and treat the uh, beggars like their family. Some thought it was the most undignified thing you could do. It's kind of divided within ancient Judaism. But he's a beggar. He's a blind beggar. And he stands in front of these religious people and he abs- the religious leaders who have given their lives to studying the scriptures and he absolutely schools them. A second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. And he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But I do, one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. See, he had this transformative experience with Jesus that made him more wise to the ways of the kingdom than the people who had been studying the scriptures their whole, their whole lives. They studied the scriptures their whole lives and gave themselves to interpreting them, trying to figure out what they meant, teaching them. And this guy who didn't know a bit of scripture had this transformative experience with Jesus, and he just knew. See, the, the, this, the story of Jesus is not about information, it's about transformation. Being a disciple of Christ isn't about Gaining knowledge and information, it's about letting myself be transformed, like I said in the very beginning of this time. This guy is a perfect picture of what discipleship looks like, experiencing the life and healing of Jesus and just saying yes, Jesus, to it. Then Jesus hears that they kicked him out of the synagogue, and it's almost like Jesus was waiting for him to get kicked out, isn't it? He has this argument, this guy gets kicked out of the synagogue, which means he's cut off from, from all his people. He's, he's a reject, even more than he was before. And now Jesus is like, now I can do something with you. You've been rejected. You've been marginalized by the religious power brokers, by the gatekeepers. Now let's talk. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And he went to find him. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? Tell me that I, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him, and in fact, he is the one speaking with you. Exactly like what he did with the Samaritan woman. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And here it is. For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. What do you think Jesus meant there? Go ahead and think for a minute. I, I'm really asking. I'd like to hear what you think. What do you think Jesus meant? It is for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Montavious, I love that you're always first. What do you think? Sorry for you online, I'm not walking around with a microphone, but Montavious just said something to the effect of, um, it's the ironic thing that the guy who was blind had this transformative experience with Jesus and who actually can see, and the think guys who think they can see are actually blind to the ways of the kingdom. Thank you, Montavious. Anybody else? Got, what do you think Jesus was saying here? Jess? Mm-hmm. 
Jess just said, for those of you in the back or those of you online, it reminded her of when Jesus said to the religious people around him, it is not for the healthy that I've come, but for the sick. And the irony that if you think you're well, maybe you're not looking for, for help, right? Those are good. Any others? Eric? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So Eric pointed out something really brilliant. I, I, would, I didn't have this in my sermon notes, but let's go into it. Jesus said, for, it, for judgment I have come into this world. But if you're really paying attention, you remember in John 3 where Jesus said, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through me, right? Which is it, Jesus? We're gonna find, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hold that there because in John 12, it's going to be a very similar story and we're going to find out what Jesus means by judgment. But here's a little hint. In the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, judgment almost always means setting the world to right. Setting the world to right. And here Jesus is saying, I've come to kind of create this the separation of what's always been obvious. So let's, let's wait till John 12. For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now here's, I think, all of you guys who have commented and hopefully a few of you online have commented as well to one another and been a community with one another, but do you remember the title of the sermon? We're all blind. See, Jesus says, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and that those who see will become blind. It's the reality that I think that Jesus is saying here, friends. You're all blind. Like, you're, you're literally all blind. See, I have come to bring, Jesus says, I have come to bring this kingdom that you know little tiny shreds of. No matter how long you've studied the scriptures, you've got a tiny little shred of the truth of what the divine looks like and operates like and thinks like, right? This is where we come back into this epistemic humility. See, the religious leaders, because they had given themselves to studying the scriptures for their whole lives, thought they were experts, and their interpretation was the correct interpretation, and Jesus comes before them, and they want to kill him. In other words, all of that religious study, all of that scriptural study was absolutely useless because it was designed to point them to Jesus, but they didn't even realize it. See, this is what we religious people do. We think we come to this point where we say yes to Jesus, and now that means I've got it all figured out. Right? I've been in a lot of Bible studies, and I really know the scriptures. I went to Awana, which means these verses are seared into my, my, my consciousness. And then I turned Lutheran, my, my parents tossed me into a Lutheran church, so I did, I did catechism and confirmation class, and for a whole year studied the catechism and the scriptures and all of it, and I was one of the smartest in the class. I've been preaching the scriptures for 15 years so I can impress you guys. That's not really why I've been doing it, but that's part of it. And Jesus looks at me and says, 
It's for judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. It's people like me. It's people like us, religious people, who are in most danger of actually missing it. See, because we think we can see. We think we've got God all figured out. And Jesus, I think, here is just saying, could you show a bit of epistemic humility? This is an invitation into humility, into thinking, maybe I don't know everything there is to know about God. And guess what? Maybe I probably never will. And so this is a really, really challenging thing for us people in the church. I'm not telling you to not read your Bibles anymore. I'm not doing that at all. I love the Scriptures. I love the Gospels. Love them. Read more. But don't read more thinking that by reading more, I'm going to get this thing figured out. Here's the challenge for us religious people. The more we study, the more we host home church, the more we go to home church, the more we have our book studies, our Bible studies, our our podcasts, the more we think we see. But the challenge for us religious people is to come to the Scripture saying, I'm just a blind person. And the next time we come to the Scripture saying, I'm just a blind beggar. And the next time we go to Sunday service saying, I got nothing here except for you, Jesus. Teach me. To grow in knowledge of the Word of God and stay humble about what we don't know, can you imagine a harder thing to do? For a, in a religious system that tells you that you're redeemed by what you know, and the more you know about the Scriptures, the, the more God approves. And Jesus says, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. How do we do it? How do we keep pursuing God while knowing I still know just a shred of the divine life that is the ground of all being that Paul says sustains, created and sustains all things? This is an invitation for us religious people, friends, into humility. into coming back over and over and over again because we're just blind beggars. So let's stand and pray and we'll sing one more time. Jesus, I love these opportunities in the Gospels to learn from the marginalized. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you religious leaders. In other words, be like the tax collectors and prostitutes. I don't know what to tell you, this blind beggar said, but I know this, I was blind and now I see. Jesus, would you form and shape us as individuals and as a church family, as a community, as online community? to remind ourselves over and over again that we're just blind beggars. I used to find it frustrating, but now I find it so comforting that how could I ever think that I'll have a grasp on the creator and sustainer of the cosmos? 
how do I make it so that I, I'm, a, I'm a religious person, I'm a, I'm a person who's given myself to the scriptures and to the study of them and to community, but I still see myself as someone who doesn't know much. Could you just cultivate that humility in me, Jesus? I need it so desperately on a moment by moment, day by day, let alone moment by moment basis. And I think this is a room full of people who need that humility and we need you, Holy Spirit, to give it to us to remind us of it, to be formed and shaped by it, to be transformed by humility. Because I want to recognize you, Jesus, when you show up. I'm scared, and I think in a good way of, of being like the religious leaders, of having God in the flesh, face to face, and I don't even recognize him because of what I think I know. to come and give me eyes to see. I love you, Jesus, and your kingdom. I love that I get to learn from a blind beggar who lived 2,000 years ago who's with you now. Thank you, Jesus, for your gospel. Thank you for this good news for all people, even me.